What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Duval, welcome in to another episode of the Gin Jag Podcast. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. Jeremy, it was a rough one on Sunday. Uh, Jaguars just kind of got trampled by the 49ers. Uh, how are we feeling after that one? Yeah, it was, it was tough to watch. It was uh, more than a trampling. It was a manhandling. It was a, a dominating performance by San Francisco. It could be anything you wanted to be if you worded it poorly. I mean, it was just a poorly, uh, you know, just a poorly executed game from top to bottom for the Jaguars. It's not great. And that that two and two spurt there quickly turned to two and four. And, you know, Jaguars are kind of right back where they started. So it's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, to help me get through this one, I'm going to pop a top from Bold City Brewery here. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Tuesday tops, baby. There we go. Yes. Hey, it's Thanksgiving it week. Is. I can drink on Tuesday, right? Absolutely. And it's five o'clock. Yep. We're all Yes, it's five o'clock. Check all the boxes. This on- yeah, Tuesday, November 23rd, probably come out uh, Wednesday morning. So get you ready for some uh, some Thanksgiving football, and we'll talk about the Jags. And big thank you to Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street, the Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. So Jaguars staying home for a second consecutive week, hosting the Falcons after, you know, we just talked about it, getting throttled by the 49ers. We'll preview the matchup with the Falcons, take a look at some news and notes, talk a little bit about 49ers game, obviously. And we'll answer a few fan questions, which we haven't done in quite a while, so we're excited to get to it. Reminder to check out genjag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. So I would say the biggest chunk of Jaguars news right now, Jamal Agnew um, on a play where he picked up a a pretty big third down out for the season, the hip injury. Urban Meyer says he's confident in a full recovery. They don't think it's going to be one of those complicated injuries that might, might, you know, take years off the career or, um, or potentially cause more long-term issues. They think it's going to be able to recover just fine. So that's encouraging, but obviously not encouraging is the fact that Trevor Lawrence and this offense will not have Jamal Agnew for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's definitely a tough break. I mean, he was definitely a guy who was coming on uh, for this offense uh, over the last few weeks. Obviously, the offense as a whole uh, has you know been stifled over the past couple weeks as well. But nonetheless, he's been a um, very explosive player. He's been a spark, uh, special teams, offensively, all around really for this team. So you hate to see a guy like that go down. Uh, you know, pretty ugly looking injury there, to be honest with you. I didn't realize it was his hip when I first saw it. I definitely thought it was his knee. Um, it looked like his leg just completely twisted the wrong way. When he went down, it looked so much worse 
than it was. So um, did they say whether it was a broke, dislocated? Did they did they mention exactly? He the just said it was it? a hip. Right. It's all, all seen as a hip. So yeah, that sometimes that sometimes causes a little bit of concern. You know, when they're not uh, too reluctant to say exactly what the injury is. But you know, good wishes to him. I hope that uh, you know he can you know, make that full recovery and come back and, and still be a productive guy, whether it be on offense or on special teams. But, you know, for a guy who really makes his money off speed and, and quickness and agility, I mean, that, that's got to be a tough blow for anybody. Definitely. And it's a tough blow for the offense. When you look at how they were utilizing him, jet sweeps, um, just straight up running plays out of the backfield um, as a receiver and many different ways, you know, getting, getting underneath coverage and then sometimes getting past coverage down the field. It's going to be a big blow, no doubt about it for a team that's already out um, or already without DJ shark, who was the downfield threat. Um, I don't know how you replace him. Obviously some people have pointed to Tavon Austin. I just, (laughs) I can't with Tavon Austin at this point. I can hear it. I can feel it, man. It's tough. It's it's eventually, you know, when do you run out of options? I mean, I mean, realistically, logically speaking, they've gone through Chark. We we've signed, cut, released, waived so many wide receivers. Guys are getting hurt. You can't find any production, any really sort of you know headway anywhere. You've got to figure something out. I don't know how you start to replace guys when you are still behind from replacing Chark and replacing everybody else. It just goes to show you you know, how shallow this room really was, you know, we thought it was a strength of the team heading into the season. And it's obviously not the case, but you got to start looking at everybody. I mean, you know, who's out there on the street, who who's out there. It, it somebody's got to be out there. You've got guys in the practice squad. Let's start moving them around. I mean, it really can't get any worse. You've got to figure something out. You've got to provide a spark. So this, this front office better be moving. They better be doing a lot of scouting. They better be hitting guys up off the street, calling them wherever they are. They've got to figure something out to make this offense, not look inept. Yeah, I want to see some Jeff Cotton this week. And yeah. I mean, he's not Jamal Agnew. He doesn't really have the same skill set. But when you talk about trying to create some space on the field, Jeff Cotton might be able to do that. And they've got names on the practice squad. Josh Hammond's still on the practice squad. Um, that, that other I think receiver's he's out for the year, isn't he? Is he? I, I didn't pick up on that. Um, but I know that he's slower than might have been Godwin. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was Godwin. And then, um, no, you're good. And then uh, that other receiver who made that amazing catch in the Cowboys game during the preseason, his name, his name for, yeah, it's, it's uh, losing it right here, right now. But I they just talked about him on, on the radio drive on the way in from work. But I mean, you, you've got to do something. You've got to do something. It's obviously not working what you have. You've got Laquan Treadwell. You've got Tavon Austin. You've got guys that have been around for a couple weeks. You just signed John Brown, brought him active. He didn't really do much, obviously. He didn't really get a lot of playing time, but. I mean, you've got to hit somewhere, right? I mean, at some point you've got to find somebody to make some sort of impact. Yeah, I would say so. And, you know, another position dealing with injury concerns is running back. And James Robinson played last week. He didn't quite look himself. I think that part partially had to do with the fact that he is injured. But I also think the 49ers defense was pretty stifling. And they knew, you know, the Jaguars weren't going to test them deep at all. Uh, with, with their lack of speed and separation on the outside and in the slot. So they were able to just kind of key in on James Robinson. But Philip Lindsay, he just hit waivers today. Texans waived him. Um, wasn't having a great year. Had a pretty big injury in 2020. But prior to that, as an undrafted free agent, similar to James Robinson, two 1,000-yard seasons to start his career. 
Uh, that's a guy I think you got to look at, it, not only just because of Robinson's injury, but like, is Philip Lindsay going to be better for this squad long term than Carlos Hyde? Yeah, absolutely. I think the Jaguars should absolutely put a claim in. Um, I said it earlier today. I think you did as well. You have to you have to do something. We're talking about providing a spark here. You've got to pick up a guy who is a different type of, of back than Carlos Hyde. And you know, no disrespect to Dario Ngumbawale, but you know, I mean, he just he's just another guy. He's not somebody that you're going to throw in there and expect to give you a spark. Philip Lindsay has done in the past. Yeah, he's a little bit older now, and he's had some obviously some injury issues and some injury history, but. Again, it, it can't be any worse than it is right now. He could be a guy that could, you know, potentially provide something out of the backfield, especially in the receiving game. And that's obviously something you're going to lock now without Jamal Agnew. Um, you know, you're trying to get fancy with LaVisca, but LaVisca, now that Jamal Agnew's gone, you know, we're another receiver short, he's going to have to play more time in the slot or in the receiver position as a whole. You can't really waste his reps in the backfield because that means you've got to put somebody else out there on the outside who does not have chemistry with Trevor and hasn't really done anything this year. So you start to pigeonhole yourself there i think philip Lindsay would be a great guy to bring in give you another option out of the backfield yeah and it's not just low risk it's no risk yeah you bring him in here um and of course there's a couple teams ahead of the jaguars on waiver priority but if, if you get him in here and he doesn't want to be here it's not working out cut bait immediately no big deal yeah i i don't think you know no disrespect to philip Lindsay, but at this point in his career that he can you know, turn around and walk away from anything that really that, that claims him. I mean, this is probably yeah. going to be one of his last chances to play football in the NFL, to be quite honest with you. So hopefully that situation does not arise. I mean, he's going to have to take any opportunity that comes his way. Yeah, I think he'll have chances down the road, but you're right. At this point in his career, is it really going to look good to step away from a team? Probably not in his best interest. Um, on the uh, injury front with some other guys here, Shaq Griffin, he's in the concussion protocol. Um, Urban Meyer seemed pretty pretty positive about him today uh, for his chances of playing this weekend. Tyson Campbell had an AC sprain in the shoulder. Um, he, he Urban Meyer was said he it was positive news yesterday, and he again sounded pretty positive about his chances of playing this weekend. Uh, Cam Robinson should be good to go, according to Urban, and also Andre Sisco should be good to go. So, you know, outside of Jamal Agnew, which is horrible, horrible for this Jaguars offense, at least you're probably going to get the rest of these guys uh, for week 12 against the Falcons. Yeah, you definitely need Shaq. Um, you know, you can't lose Shaq and Tyson Campbell. Um, that injury could have also very, very easily been avoided. Uh, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, DBs just throwing their body around like that when you're not necessarily the biggest guy to begin with, really doesn't bode well for you, especially defensively. I mean, taking a shot at a guy in the air like that, you got to wrap up. I mean, you have to wrap up. This is the NFL. I, you know, I hate seeing plays like that. Um, you know, so it's unfortunate. I, I wish him well and hope he gets back because we're going to need him this week. And, um, you know, like you mentioned, Tyson Campbell, um, unfortunately with the AC sprain, we, you know, I started to see a little bit of improvement from him. Um, you mentioned Cam Robinson. We need him back as well. I mean, you kind of saw, you know, some of the flaws of Walker Little on Sunday after he was in the game and the Jaguars as a whole weren't looking great anyway. So we don't really know how much there is to attribute to that. But I mean, just all around the Jaguars just banged up left and right. And, and you know, they're going to have to figure something out, man, because it, it's just not getting done with the guys we even have on the field. So, I mean, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. <laughs> Obviously, yes, it does. Um, but I mean, it just just another thing to add to the list. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Walker Little. 
I think he had five total snaps. Um, one of them, he just got absolutely destroyed with a speed rush around the edge. Another one, though, he held up against Nick Bosa. So it's like, obviously, rookies are going to be inconsistent when they're not getting any playing time and you're thrown in there against a really talented defensive front. Uh, again, he just is a guy we haven't seen enough to know what, what he can be uh, in year two and beyond. Yeah, we have to figure it out quick, though, because, you know, we kind of talked about this today and yesterday. And, and you know, the offensive line is going to be uh, a huge moving piece this offseason. You're going to have to shore it up and make sure you get guys in here, whether it's through free agency or the draft um, or potentially, you know, re-signing Cam. Um, you're going to have to have some shake up there. So these guys need to start getting reps. I mean, really, what it boils down to is I'd like to see Walker Little, and I talked about this um, you know, on social media. I'd like to see him move to right tackle for now. I mean, you've got to figure out what you have in him because at this point, Cam Robinson could be gone. He could be staying. We know Jawan Taylor, at least in my mind, I don't think is a long-term answer at offensive tackle. Um, you got to see what this guy can do. I, I mean, it's it's time to figure something out. You're two and eight. Um, there's no hope for for really anything other than maybe four wins. Uh, start getting some of these guys some playing time, consistent playing time, swing tackle, um, you know, swing guards, whatever you need to do. Move these guys around. Get these guys some playing time. Figure out figure out what you got ahead of you for the years to come. Yeah, and Tyson Campbell, um, second straight week allowing 50% uh, completions and primary coverage. Uh, very encouraging. Very, very encouraging for him. He's had he's had a nice little run now, and you hope he can continue that. Uh, hopefully he doesn't have to miss time with his AC sprain. Yeah, he, he got lucky he didn't have to cover Debo Samuel all day, or that that uh, that number may have been much higher. Um, you know, it's it's great that he had a better showing and he's continued to have better showings, but unfortunately it came at the cost of the rest of the defense not looking too bright. So, you know, it's just you get ups and you get downs and, and you find some positives and you find some negatives. And unfortunately this week, even though, you know, the, the few small positives you did find got outshined by a lot of the negatives just because of the way the Jaguars were beaten. It wasn't pretty. No doubt. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Jeremy at Jeremy Markoski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, and Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. So how concerned are you, Jeremy, about the defensive performance against the 49ers? If we're talking about it as a whole and as what I think the, the defense can do, the ability they do have, I'm not too concerned. I would say a 5 out of 10. Uh, and 5 out of 10 because I saw – um, you know, kind of some of the things that we saw in the beginning of the year, um, you know, with the defense just not being able to uh, repeatedly and, and consistently get stops. Um, you saw on the first drive of the game, I mean, the San Francisco 49ers ate up over 13 minutes of clock with a 20-play drive, and you stopped them twice. You stopped them twice on third down, and you gave it back with two penalties. So you obviously stabbed yourself uh, in the foot there, and, and you know, just through the rest of the game, with everything else that was going on, the offense's ineptitude, um, the 49ers had, like, I don't even remember a ridiculous number of plays where the Jaguars even ran their fifth offensive play of the game. Um, they were down it was 17 to zero. 17 the Jaguars ran their fifth offensive play of the game. 17 total plays. Play. No, no, 17 points, points. wise. Right, 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 right. They had, the Jaguars ran their fifth play. Yeah. And I think San Fran was up to like 30 at that point or yeah. something like that. So, I mean, it was just total domination. The, the offense was completely inept. I've said it time and time again. I'll continue to say it more times this show, I'm sure. And, you know, that unfortunately hindered the defense. When you're on the field for that long, uh, you really you really can't do much. Any NFL team on the field that long is probably going to give up 30 points. Um, you know, it's just it, it was frustrating to see, but I don't think it was on the defense. I saw some good things. Um, you know, you had, I think, three or four 
four sacks in the game. Um, you know, some big plays on third down, um, some big stops when they needed them. Unfortunately, like I said, they were negated by penalties and other stupid things. And, and, you know, you really fought through some injuries there. So all in all, I'm not too concerned with the defensive performance, but you know, uh, they're susceptible to some breakthroughs, absolutely susceptible to some breakthroughs. Yeah. And we kind of talked about it before, uh, the game, we talked about it on the podcast last week that this is probably not a good matchup for the Jaguars defense um, with Kyle Shanahan's ability to scheme things up and know where your weaknesses are and the talent of Debo and Brandon and George uh, at receiver. It's just tough to deal with. Um, I would say I also am not super concerned with the defensive performance because we kind of expected it to not be great. And when you look at some of the points that were put up, um, you had the muffed punt that led to a field goal. Shout out Tavon Austin. Um, and you also had the uh, LaVisca Chenault fumble in the first quarter that gave the 49ers the ball, I think, around the 30-yard line. So uh, those two possessions were – it's hard to blame the defense, especially with the the 30-yard line LaVisca um, fumble because not only are they in terrible field position, the defense – they're also coming off of being on the field for a ridiculous amount of time. So um, those two drives, it's hard, really kind of hard to blame the defense for giving up points. Yeah, it is. It, it was so tough to see. You wanted to see the Jaguars answer. And and the first thing they do is they come out and fumble. And we talked about you know how much we needed to see LaVisca become a playmaker. We wanted to see him improve. And, and they did some of those things that we talked about last week in the podcast. They started getting the ball to these guys in space off quick game. They started running pick and rub routes. I saw a couple, actually a couple that led to a third down uh, conversion. I mean, they, they looked kind of, you know, like a, like a actual offense. They kind of looked like they were being a little effective. Yeah. At times. And then, and they just, you know, shit the bed in other areas, turn the ball over um, penalties, self-inflicted things. Um, even on special teams, you know, your punter wasn't even ready for the punt team. The one job that he has, he wasn't yeah, ready that's for hilarious, it. Dude. I mean, that that just blows my mind. So, I mean, you could just see the Jaguars weren't prepared for this game. They were not prepared um, on any level. And it could have been a lot worse than it was, if we're being completely honest. I mean, I think the 49ers knew that. They said, we're just going to get in here. We're going to control the clock. We're going to run the ball. We're going to dominate this team, and we're going to get out. We're not going to risk any injury to ourselves. Uh, you know, we're not going to go crazy. And when you are a team playing as well as the 49ers are right now, and you're playing – you know, the bottom of the barrel, a team like the Jaguars, you can do that kind of stuff. And it's honestly, you know, it's that's the most disrespectful thing you can do as a team is just go in there and say, hey, we know we've got you. We're just going to line up and beat you all day long. We're, we're going to control the clock. We're going to get out of here without any injuries. We're going to just do what we got to do and leave and, and just chalk this one up for another win. I mean, it's as a business decision as you could have ever asked for. Yeah, <laughs> that punt. <laughs> uh, he's like a one pro bowler. If that doesn't scream terrible coaching, like I don't know what does. Yeah, I think it's it's crumbling down more than we realized. I mean, and and through all the through all the the reports that came out on Sunday, I love how well timed they are. Just at, you know, obviously Lockin' Fora is noted Jaguar hater, so you know, take it with a grain of salt here. But you start to kind of hear these things, and at first you want to defend them and you want to fight them off, and you want to understand, you know, that not everything is what it seems, and, and there are certain narratives that get pushed out to the media for specific reasons. But usually where there's smoke, there's fire. And the more smoke yeah. you see, the bigger the fire gets. And, and there's obviously going to be some changes. There have to be changes. I mean, let's just be real. You cannot go back and run it up again with this with the same group. I mean, receivers coach needs to go. Offensive coordinator needs to go. I know we're going to get into that later, so I won't get into it too much. But, you know, just it's just 
it's just how it is. It, that's just the fact of the matter. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and staying with the defense a little bit, um, we were talking about how concerned we are with this defensive performance. Again, both of us not super concerned. It was a bad matchup, um, and a lot of unfortunate circumstances happened to the defense throughout the game. Um, the one thing I am concerned with defensively, Rayshon Jenkins, they signed this guy to a lot of money, $8 million a year. And I know that's not like crazy money, but you signed this guy to be a starter. You made him a captain, and he cannot control himself. He picked up his third personal foul uh, of the season, got ejected from the game. Uh, he's not good enough to overcompensate for these terrible penalties that he's picking up. Yeah, I 100% agree. You know, as a player on the field, Rayshon Jenkins has been serviceable. Um, you know, hasn't been terrible, hasn't been great either. I don't think he's necessarily lived up to that $8 million a year value yet, but he hasn't, you know, been playing like a $2 million a year guy either. So, you know, you look at that and then you kind of, you know, figure out where's the deciding factor. And like you just mentioned, it's the self-discipline. That's the deciding factor and it's turning him down right now. His third uh, personal foul of the year and this one was just egregious. You can't put your team in that kind of position. You just can't. And I believe that one also came on a third down, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which yeah. extended a drive again. Um, and and I think that that was the third time at that point that a drive had been extended due to a defensive penalty. And that's where you shoot yourself in the foot. All the good you do, you wipe it away. And yeah, I mean, uh, that receiver went low. It was a little dirty, kind of turtled him a little bit, but you can't lose your cool like that especially not to that point. I mean, it's not like he was bowing up at you or swinging at you or there was no shoving going on. I mean, you just straight up lost your cool. And even when the rest were in there trying to break it up, there was no animosity. I mean, it didn't look like anything was going to happen. It wasn't like Cortland Finnegan and Andre Johnson. I mean, it was, it was, (laughs) so that was just a completely just dumb, obviously decision, but it was completely uncalled for Like the crime completely outweighed, not the punishment, I guess you could say that backwards, but what he did completely outweighed what, was going on to him. If you go back and look at the replay, I mean, it wasn't that yeah. serious. So, and, and to wear that C on your chest and then to put your team in that kind of position, that's no indicative of any captain to me. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's ridiculous. Um, I, I like the guy I do. Don't get me wrong, but you have got to be able to keep your head. And like you said, he's not playing terrible football, but when you combine his play with his actions after the play, He's not helping this team right now. He's putting them in them in bad situations. And it's looking like he's going to be another guy that you signed to be a starter that is going to be gone after two years, in my opinion. Uh, there's a potential out after his 2022 season where you only have $4 million in dead cap, uh, and then you'd get out of having to pay him Ten million in twenty twenty three and ten million in twenty twenty four, and I just don't know how you can, unless he flips a switch uh, from his antics after the play, and from his, and even you know just his play in between the whistles. I don't know how you pay him ten million dollars a year, two years in a row after after that uh, potential out. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And it sucks to say that because you're trying to build a foundation. You want to build a foundation with a new coordinator, a new coach. You don't have to keep turning things over every two years. That's kind of just the rut that the Jaguars have been stuck in forever. Um, and it sucks that it, that's coming back to bite us in the rear. Sure does. Now, 
I have to do this like every week now because there's so many Jaguars fans that just look at the box score and they're like, Trevor's not playing good football. He didn't throw any touchdown passes. He only completed 16 passes in this game. Where's all the yardage? Where's all the touchdowns? What did you see from Trevor against the 49ers on Sunday? Well, it was very clear that it's not a Trevor issue. And I think we've been saying that for weeks. I know you have. Uh, I know I have. Um, you know, there's just so much more there when it comes to the quarterback and how he's playing. You know, football is is the ultimate team sport. And a quarterback can raise you up and and he can also drag you down. And I don't think Trevor's dragging us down by any means. And I don't think he's got the talent around him to raise them up. Um, I went through each individual incompletion from that game. And really besides one, um, you know, Trevor didn't make any poor decisions or, or bad throws in the entire game. The first one was a horrible play call on the third and five that Trevor just had to get rid yeah. of. Yeah, let's talk about that one real quick. Because yeah. I like, I couldn't believe so you have Marvin Jones on the right side with an ISO route. He's obviously not going to create any separation. You have um, Dan Arnold inside next to him who falls out of his break. You have John Brown in the slot who runs a go route. And you have uh, LaVisca who does a comeback who, if you throw the ball to him, it's either going to get deflected or picked six. And then so Trevor just has to throw it deep and basically, in my opinion, I'm not sure that this is the case, but it looked like he just threw it away. Like John Brown, uh, he was running towards the sideline, but he put it to where if John Brown wasn't going to get to it, neither was a defender because John Brown didn't have any separation either. Yeah, I mean, it, pre-snap, it's very easy to see what's going on. Um, they've got seven up on the ball. Um, the seventh man accounts for the tight end, and they bring six. And then everything else is manned up across the board with a one-high safety. We talked about it last week. When you don't have receivers who have great footwork, when you don't have receivers who can burn guys, teams can press you. They can really make those short yard situations tough because there's not really a lot of space. They'll bring six, um, you know, and, and we kept six, but still the pressure got there, and Trevor had to make a decision. That one-high safety is obviously going to cover John Brown. He's the fastest guy on the field. You know, that that's exactly what he's there for. So there was nowhere to go with the ball. Trevor did absolutely just throw it away. And and it's it's tough to see on a third and five. That's the best you could come up with. Um, I, I didn't like that at all. You know they're going to blitz. You've got to spread them out. You've got to get uh, the defenders away from the box. If you can get them off the line, spread out a couple yards outside of the tackles, if they want to come from distance, well, it's really easy to read that play then. But they're probably not going to, and you've got a better chance now of spreading things out and creating some space. I mean, it just it was terrible. Terrible play calling. Yeah. So And the one the one play or pass that Trevor made um, that was kind of questionable was – I, I believe it was on a third down as well. Mm-hmm. He's trying to hit Laquan Treadwell on the sideline on a uh, on a deep out, and there's just terrible spacing. Like Lavisca is like four yards in front of him, and then Dan Arnold is like four yards in front of Visca, and it was Visca's man that actually deflected the pass away from Laquan Treadwell. Yeah, but when I go through and break down all eight of the incompletions from the game, like I said, the first one, horrible play call, thrown away. The second one, uh, we were going down, um, left to right, moving down the field, uh, moving into the end zone. Trevor throws a ball to the right side of the field. I think within the 10-yard line, give or take, to Marvin Jones, a good back shoulder throw with the defensive back having inside leverage uh, on Marvin Jones, and Marvin Jones just can't make a play on the ball. And those are the types of things that you need to see from receivers. You know, we talk about oh, yeah, the 50-50 ball. Yeah, quarterbacks should yeah. – I mean, in, 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 in my opinion, from looking at it, just from looking at the tape – 
It was a great ball by Trevor. He put it up high on the back shoulder away from the DB. There was no way the DB was making that catch. You've got to have a receiver that can go up and make that kind of play. Devontae Adams, uh, Keenan Allen, uh, you know, those big body, DeAndre Hopkins, big body physical receivers who are going to make those plays. Those what make those those are the guys that make your team so much better. Those are the guys that, that a quarterback can elevate by giving them a chance to catch the ball, um, you know, completely keeping it away from, from the DB. So that's tough to see. Uh, then there was a drop. There was a well-defended screen where Trevor had to throw into the ground. I mean, that just is what it is. Smart oh, decision. Yeah. Get rid of it. That was the, the one ground. where he was frustrated. Yeah. And, and but that's I fine. thought you could tell. Yeah. But, but just put it away, put it away. You move on. Uh, th- there was a, an iffy decision made. Um, I can't remember exactly what happened on that one. Um, I, I had to go back and look at it. Um, but, there was the, the six incompletion was the one where Nick Bosa uh, came straight off the edge, completely just absolutely fleeced, fleeced the right tackle. Um, and Trevor made a great move in the pocket, stepped up, rolled out, still gave the receiver a chance to catch the ball on the sideline, and they dropped it. Uh, and then there were two more drops at the end of the game. So, you know, what's that? Four drops in all, um, and one maybe questionable decision that I really don't even think you could have done much with it anyway had the defense made a play on the ball. So, to sit here and say that Trevor's the issue, I mean, that's just not the case. Trevor is is stepping up in the pocket. He's avoiding sacks. He's getting the ball to the open guy when they're open because that's all you can do. You can't get a ball to an open guy who's completely shut down in coverage. So let's you know put that into 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 the equation here, guys. I mean, when your receivers aren't getting open, who are you going to throw the ball to? You can't throw the ball to a guy who's not open. And then when you do throw in the ball, they drop it. And we've been saying this for weeks, and it's evident there. It's on the film. Um, Steven Ruiz at the breakdown. You can go look at every single incompletion from the game and tell me what you see. I mean, tell me what you see. It's just a bunch of guys not making plays. And really, in most instances, there aren't any plays to be made. Yeah, so the problem here is people looking at box scores and using that as an evaluation tool for quarterback play. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like it's archaic. Um, you can't do it. You've got to be more nuanced in your understanding of the quarterback position than that, because it is an incredibly nuanced position. Um, if if your receiver doesn't catch the ball, that goes down as an incompletion for you. Does that show up on that box score that you're looking at? No, it doesn't. If no one's open and you have to just force a ball or throw a ball out of bounds, that looks bad on you, but it's not your fault. I mean, uh, we could go on about that for a long time. I could at least, but the point of all of this is Trevor is playing very well. And this might've actually been his best game of the season in terms of command and, uh, pocket movement, escaping that Nick Bosa had him dead to rights, and he just slid to the left and uh, was able to you know avoid the sack. He's playing really well. He's getting better, and everyone else around him is kind of failing him. And I think the offensive line, um, at least on the right side with Barch and Jawan Taylor, is regressing a little bit uh, throughout the season. And Marvin Jones has certainly regressed over the last few weeks. Yeah, they definitely have, and and it's it's tough to see because you see a young guy like Ben Barch, who I thought played extremely well a couple weeks ago, and, and was kind of you know making his way into the starting lineup. Just the push isn't there. There's no movement. And it's a tough matchup. It is a tough matchup with the defense line, but that what at some point we've we've got to stop not using that as an excuse because I mean, it's not an excuse. I mean, it is, but it's not. It's an excuse when we play you poorly because if you go out there and it's a tough matchup and you dominate that tough matchup, that's how you become a good football team. That's how you become a consistently winning football team. The Jaguars aren't there yet. So we got to start expecting those guys to do that stuff. Yes, I understand the matchup is tough, but 
hey, coaches, let's go ahead and get a scheme work and to exploit this matchup. Let's figure something out as coaches to do something, uh, you know, to, to give us the upper hand here. We're not seeing that either. So it puts the, obviously the players in a tough position, um, you know, puts the team in a tough position. It puts the fans in a tough position, but yeah, you know, people that want to sit here and, and like I said, box score watch, you can do that to an extent when it's guys that have a, have a benchmark. Aaron Rodgers has a benchmark. If you look at Aaron Rodgers box score, you know, and, and, and it's ugly. Sometimes he just has a bad game and that's going to happen. But when you look at something like this, the team's bad. Um, you've got to look more into it than that. If it, Trevor's making bad throws, um, you know, and is overthrowing people or just getting rid of the ball and making bad decisions, I mean, it, it's different. Then, yes, obviously it's his fault, and that's why you have to watch it because this guy's just throwing balls to guys that are open and they're just dropping them. I mean, they're just not making any plays for him. Yeah, and I don't think he played bad against the Colts. I don't think it was his best game. I think he legitimately played very, very well against the 49ers, and there was just no help. Yeah, I, I think it took some time to get the offense going, which is unfortunate. Um, obviously, I think the first drive is not his fault. You know, obviously, you can't control the second fumble. one isn't either. You have the fumble from Visca. Yep, and, and and you can and you can't control that fumble, and and I get that. Um, then you're down seventeen <laughs> zero. But you know, still, you know, things. It still seemed that the offense is still a little bit lackluster. It's still a little bit slow. It's a little bit boggy. I don't think that's Trevor's fault by any means. Um, but you know, at, at some point as a quarterback, what can you do? What can you do specifically? Uh, you know, to to make sure that things. Are right. I mean, it doesn't seem like Trevor's making a lot of checks at the line of scrimmage. It doesn't seem like he's, you know, making a lot of changes at the line of scrimmage. If he's, is he not comfortable there yet? And if not, why not? It's week 11 now. Um, you know, you're, you're 10 games in after the bye. Um, we're very. You don't know what he's allowed to do. Right. But why? What? Right. Okay. I get that. But, it, but there's not much being done, period, anyway. So he's yeah. either not allowed to do much, A, which is poor coaching. Let this man do what he does. He's a quarterback for a reason. You know, you've got to have, look at all the best quarterbacks. Look at Aaron Rodgers. Look at uh, Tom Brady. Look at anybody. Look how many checks they're going to make at the line in a game. You have to have pre-snap motion for them to be able to make these checks and determine, you know, what kind of pre-snap defense the opponent is running. A lot of that has to happen. Or it's B, that he's not ready to make those checks yet, and that's also on coaching. Or it's C, He's not confident in those checks, and I don't think it's a Trevor thing. He does. He doesn't. He doesn't seem to have anything, you know, wrong up top where where you wouldn't be confident in him making those checks, or his knowledge of football would be good enough for him making those checks. So it, it's got to be coaching. They've they've got to not be letting him make those checks, and I think that would be something that would benefit this team a lot. Let him read. Let him see what's going on out there, and and let him get the guys in the right position. Yeah, you mentioned pre snap motion. Um, the Jaguars are among the leagues. Uh, the league's lowest uh, in terms of teams that are running pre-snap motion. They're the lowest at the snap, but I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. Pre-snap motion just gives you an idea. Is it man? Is it zone? If Trevor knew that every single play, I think it would be helping him out a lot. But again, are the receivers going to help him out? Even if he knows what it is, it's up for debate on a play in and play out basis. But let's, let's turn the page here. I think we both feel that Trevor is playing good enough. He's progressing well. Um, it's only a matter of time for him and a matter of getting some better players around him. Uh, mailback. Let's get into this. We've got three questions we're going to answer here from um, some fans. We haven't done this in a while, so I'm excited to be able to answer some fan questions. Uh, Mark Oggs, eight. He asks, what 
to do with DJ Chark? Oh man. I mean, obviously this has been, um, you know, a topic that has revolved around the scene for the last two years now, and it's coming, um, you know, full steam ahead with him being on a contract here. My thought is you've got to resign him um, for a couple reasons. First of all, you don't really have much on this team to begin with. You have too many needs to be able to draft a full, you know, core of wide receivers. Um, you have too many needs to be able to sign a full core of free agent wide receivers. And truthfully and honestly, you want to make that splash signing. So you're not going to have enough money to do that either. You want to make that one big signing and, and build the rest of the team around that. So due to Chark's injury, I think unfortunately, you know, and, and I probably his lack of production and the view of DJ Chark probably everywhere outside of Jacksonville. I think we think of him a lot higher here than most of the national media and correspondents do, and, and probably teams as well. I don't think there's going to be a Which big is market. Which matters. Matters right. what the teams think. Right, and I don't think it's going to be a big market for that guy. So you probably get him on a decent deal, a team-friendly deal. You do a year, maybe a year plus one with an option. Um, you know, Give him some money up front just to see what he can do and go from there. But I think you have to bring him back because of that. Yeah, I don't know what his leverage is outside of the fact that everyone in the world knows he has a huge catch radius and he's really fast. Um, but he's a guy in his fourth season. Three of his four seasons have been marred by either injuries or poor play. He's had one really good season. And even in that season, he missed some time with an injury. Um, not a ton of time, but he still did miss some time. Uh, yeah, six foot three, four three speed. Very tall, like I said, long arms, good catch radius. You don't have much talent outside of him um, at the receiver position. It's all going to depend on what you can get him for and how that impacts your other plans at receiver. Because if he's going to be, if he is going to, you know, stop you from signing a bigger fish, I don't think you do it. But the way I see the um, cap space moving into next year, I do think you can sign him to a to a deal where maybe it's incentive laden, uh, maybe it's you know in between seven and ten million for a couple years, a year prove it deal. If you can do that sort of thing, I think you can still go sign a bigger fish, and then you've got. DJ back, who if, if he can get back healthy, he can at least, even if he's not great, he can at least make the defense respect the deep passing game because he's too fast to not account for. Unfortunately, though, you know, I know you're bringing, you know, his speed into the equation, and that's probably one of the strongest suits of his game. Is that same speed still going to be there after a broken ankle? Teams are going to yeah. be thinking that. They're going to look at that. Is is he going to have that four, three speed? after a broken ankle for a guy who relies on his speed and injury like that, it's, it's going to put some question marks. It is. And so maybe that can help you further in contract negotiations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you bring him back if you can on a team friendly deal, prove it deal. And uh, if he proves it, that's great. He helped Trevor for another season and you figure out what to do after that. Um, so, yeah, I think we both agree that if you can get him for a reasonable price, you bring him back just because you need as much help as you can get in that receiver room. Yeah, and, and you know, again, you are going to have Marvin back. You're going to have LaVisca back. So you have some depth there. Um, but I, obviously, you know, none of those guys are number one. I think you still have to go out and get a true number one. So, you know, you can definitely turn this around real quick. I, I still think that the strongest argument there is just you don't have anything else. 
You really yeah. don't. And if you look at the free agent market, I mean, you know, and we're going to get into that here part in a little bit, but you know, how many guys do you truly expect to hit the market? And out of those guys, how many do you truthfully think that you can land? Yeah, absolutely. Catherine Cortez asks, Urban remains coach next season? Question mark. If Urban wants the job and doesn't leave, yes. Um, I think you've got too much money wrapped up uh, in Urban uh, to get him out after year one. Now, Shotcon is no, um, you know, he, he's not shy to spend. So I will give him that. If he wants to make the move, he does. But I don't think you can do it quite yet. I mean, let's take a step back and, and let's all again realize, you know, what this team really is. I think adding Trevor Lawrence to the mix obviously gave us a huge sense of hope. It turned out to be a false sense of hope. I can understand that and accept it now. I got a little ahead of myself as well, but it was still a one in 15 football team a year ago. And even with the small additions we did make, um, you know, it didn't really seem to be too much of a step forward. Now, are there other people in the building that I think need to go that, that had some hand in that? Yes. But do I think urban's still the head coach here next year? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think he'll be the head coach as well. I don't think he should be. Um, of course, there's seven more games. Uh, I don't think he's lost the team, which is a good sign considering how poorly they've played in, for much of the season. But I don't think he's doing anything to elevate this franchise right now outside of you know getting the new practice facility slash football facility uh, rolling, which is obviously going to be very good for the franchise. Um, but on the field, sure, you can point to some of the um, the technology he's implemented with player recovery, injury recovery, injury prevention, all that stuff, which is good. But uh, I don't think he's really doing anything for you. But that's not the question. The question is, will he remain coach? I think he will. I think he wants to prove he can do this. I think he wants to work with Trevor. He loves him. And I think Shad Khan loves Urban Meyer so much that he's got just about the longest leash of any first-year head coach that um, is in the NFL right now. Yeah, and I, I can't be the only one that thinks that you know it, it doesn't seem to be completely an urban fault. Now, you are the head coach, so everything is going to get pinned on you, but you mentioned you know all the steps forward that he has you know, brought this organization with him, um, you know, in regards to player recovery, um, you know, the way they treat the players. I think he's a very player-first kind of coach, and we've kind of seen that. The guys don't seem to hate Urban Meyer. Trevor is consistently, you know, with Urban Meyer, you know, supporting Urban Meyer. The, the players have come out in support of Urban Meyer. You know, it, the, the biggest thing that I'm hearing is it's other coaches and the way that he, um, I don't want to put up the quote on it, interacts with other coaches because I don't know what the interactions are. Urban Meyer doesn't seem to be the type of guy who's going to single you out and embarrass you in front of everybody and, and scream and yell at you. He doesn't seem like that type of coach. He doesn't from the I outside. I don't know about yeah. that. <laughs> I, I mean, just the, the way that he carries with, I, I don't see it. I don't see it personally. Um, but the narrative seems to be, at least right now, is that some guys are, are upset about the way that, that he approaches them. And, and, you know, I think it comes down to a, um, not a blame thing, but, but, you know, it, it, it takes, it takes accountability. And I think it all boils down to, you know, people looking at Urban Meyer and saying that he has no business being here. Therefore, what he says and what he tells me does not matter. And when he comes to me and holds me accountable for things, I'm going to get butthurt about it. That's that's where I 
think this franchise is right now. When you have coaches and, and groups and specifically that, that aren't performing well, and it's very apparent and it's holding the team back, you should be held accountable and you should be pushed to make some changes. And if that's going to chap your cheeks a little bit, then there's the door and you can walk the hell out because we're trying to progress and move things forward. Yeah. And like I said, I don't think urban has done a very good job coaching this year. He has done good with the things we mentioned in terms of player recovery, the new facility, all that. um, And putting the players first, um, I do think there's a chance he can improve uh, as a NFL head coach because he's done it everywhere he's been. And um, I think he missed on Daryl Bevel. It wasn't his original plan, original plan to hire Daryl Bevel, but Bevel did really well in the interview and kind of blew him away. And so he went with Bevel and uh, I don't think it's a fit. I don't think it makes sense right now. I, I respect Daryl Bevel as a guy, but I don't think he has what it takes to run a modern NFL offense. I think he's kind of rigid in what he wants to do. Um, Again, not seeing the pre-snap motion, not seeing the play action, not seeing the consistent bunch routes where you're able to pick and get guys open quickly. Um, You're just not seeing it enough. You're seeing it some, not enough. And so, yeah, I think if Urban does go out and make the – necessary moves in terms of fixing his staff underneath him, then there's a good chance he could improve as a head coach. And you could be talking about a guy that has earned some respect back nationally. Yeah. And I want to, I want to leave this right here before uh, we move on. I'll, I'll leave it at this to look at what I was trying to get at and, and to what I was trying to explain. Look at Joe Cullen, look at the defense, look at the adjustments, look at the changes, look at how they're playing now. In turn, look at the offense. Where are the adjustments? Where are the changes? Are they playing better or worse over the last couple of weeks? That's where I see uh, you know, some of that turmoil and some of that unrest. I mean, it's very cut and dry in my opinion. Yeah, I think it is too. I'm with you. Now, Night Ranger asks, who do you see as the top players we might go after in the draft slash free agency? Obviously, that's a very broad question. So I've kind of narrowed it down to one guy each that um, from the draft or free agency that you and I are both uh, or that you and I are interested in for the Jaguars and free agency is so far away. The draft is so far away. We don't know who is going to end up hitting free agency. You know, all the guys whose contracts are set to expire, they could get re-signed. They could get franchise tagged. A lot of different things can happen. But as of right now, guys set to become free agents who is your number one target? Well, my number one target is the number one target in free agency, and it's Devontae Adams. I mean, now, realistically speaking, you know, like you mentioned, free agency is so far away. We don't know what's going to happen until then. Will he even hit the open market? Not sure. Would he even want to come to Jacksonville? Not sure. But that's not the point here, and that's not the question. The question is, who would be my top target? My top target would be Devontae Adams. We're talking about all of the issues the receiving core has had, how that's not giving Trevor any help. Guarantee you Devontae Adams would have made that catch that Marvin Jones did not make. I guarantee you he would elevate Trevor, um, and Trevor would elevate him. You need a guy like that to be able to help Trevor progress um, and, and turn to the quarterback that you expect him to be. It has to be a top-tier wide receiver. It has to be a top target on the free agency market. It's got to be Devontae Adams. Give him all the money, anything he wants, put a blank check in front of him, and just say, hey, look, dude, 
we need you to progress this quarterback. You're going from one generational talent to, hopefully speaking, another. Come over here. Help us build it up. Go get Devontae Adams. Yeah, I mean, if you can get Devontae Adams to Duval, you know, by all means necessary. But um, he is, according to SpotRack, his valuation for free agency is $24 million per year, which is uh, uncharted territory uh, in Jacksonville. And I think that would be the highest paid receiver of all time. I love that. If they are willing to fork out the money to go get Devontae Adams and he's down to come to Jacksonville, I'm all on board with that. He's an outside receiver. He is not a super speed threat, but he wins with his route running ability, his technical ability, and uh, he's just a superstar. He's a, you could argue some other cases, but he's one of the top two to three receivers in football right now. He's 28 years old. I think he'll turn 29 uh, within the next year. Obviously, if he's 28, he'll turn 29 within the next year. I think he'll turn 29 during this season, but uh, still at the height of his game, and I'm with you there. But for me, I'm looking at Chris Godwin. Um, He's not strictly an outside receiver. He plays a little bit more in the slot than he does on the outside. Uh, He can win from both areas. His spot rack valuation is 17 million. So you're looking at 7 million less per year, according to spot rack, um, which, you know, seven more million dollars to spend in free agency or to do what you need to do. I like that. I like Chris Godwin's speed. I think that, um, statistically he's a little bit better in contested catch situations which you like i do think he separates very well uh you can use him in a lot of different ways you can use him as an outside receiver as a slot receiver as a guy that you get screens to jet sweeps he can do a lot of different things for your offense i don't think he's as dynamic as a straight up just number one x outside receiver as Devonte adams is but he's younger he's faster and he should be a little cheaper. So I really think that that would be another good option. Yeah, it, it definitely would be. I mean, I think either way, you've got to go receiver. You've got to put your top dollar on a receiver here. Because last year, I think, uh, you know, the, the top free agents were on the offensive line and on the edge. And I think this year, the top free agents are in the wide receiver room. You've got to go out and get one of those guys because that is one of your biggest needs right now. It's the biggest need. You think so? You switch over from cornerback to wide receiver? Yeah, I mean, Tyson's playing fine. Um, and, you know, for, for a rookie cornerback to play fine, that says a lot in my opinion. Um, I want to continue to see it through the rest of the year. The season is not done. These things can change rapidly. Um, if he just falls off a cliff, yeah, obviously. Cornerback is back on the table as a top need. Um, but you got to help Trevor. I mean, the biggest issue here for Trevor's development is the receiving core. I think bar none. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's it's, it's holding him back. So, um, and as far as the draft goes, I'll let you lead this one off as well. Who's one player or maybe a couple players, whatever you want to do that you would really like to see them go after in the draft. Uh, okay, I like I like the way you phrased that there. Um, we kind of talked about this beforehand. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you one of both. I'll give you uh, the guy that I've loved from start to finish, and, and that I would just love to see here, regardless of where he's drafted or what we have to do to get him. Uh, and then I'll give you really the guy who I think will get 
um, in top five or, or would be able to get in top five. And and I think, unfortunately, they come down to the defensive side of the ball for both uh, for me. And and first off, um, let's say if we're picking top five and we're there, uh, you know, I'd like to get a guy like Derek Stingley. Um, you know, at this point, yes, wide receiver is the biggest need on the team, but the talent uh, does not outweigh it here, um, as I think most of the receivers will fall uh, into the to the mid-later first round, and you'll see a bunch more taken uh, as the draft progresses. But up in the top of the draft where we're going to be picking you know, there's a lot of great talent there you can't pass up. And I think having a guy like Derek Stingley would be very beneficial to this team. Uh, another corner, um, you know, you could you could figure out what you want to do with him. Um, play him inside first if you need to as a nickel. Play him outside immediately and, and try to build that strong one-two with him and Chet Griffin. You still got another young cornerback in Tyson Campbell uh, who you could be flexible with as well. Um, and it wouldn't hurt to get some help in that defensive secondary. Now, the guy that I would love to have on this team, um, regardless of how we get him, Jordan Davis. I mean, when's the last time the Jaguars have just had, you know, a, a mountain of a man in the middle who just can contr- completely control the game? I mean, the last time they had it, they had two, um, and and I haven't seen anything like it since. So Jordan Davis is a, a man amongst boys. Um, he's a little bit raw, uh, in my opinion, and I think right now in college he can just beat you based off of his strength and his size. Uh, you know, he, he's not going to throw guys out of the way, although he does. Uh, he, you know, he's just going to stand there and beat you straight up. It's not really a technical thing for him. Coming into the NFL, he's going to have to, you know, work on some some moves. Um, you know, and and, and there's going to have to be a little bit more, you know, to beat NFL talent, especially up front. But just with the, the size and the athleticism that this man has, I think he can do it. And I think he'd be a huge upgrade um, in the front, in the middle for the defense. And I think it'd be something that, that Jaguars would love to have, uh, you know, another stalwart inside that can be around here for the next 10 years. I love Jordan Davis. Um, like you said, he is a mountain of him. I mean, he makes 6'3", 320 pound defensive linemen look small, legitimately. Uh, some of the biggest humans on earth, he makes them look small. That's how big he is. My concern with him, and the reason I don't have him as like a, a super high top five type prospect, he's playing about half the plays or less in most games. I mean, if you're going to draft a guy that high, you need somebody who is contributing, not necessarily on every single play, but you know, much closer to 100% than 50%, in my opinion. He's an absolute freak. He's stronger than everyone on the field. He should not be able to move the way he does at his size, but somehow he some he he's able to like chase down running backs, get into the edge, and just do some amazing things on the football field. I love him. I just would like to see more out of him in terms of just the snap count. Yeah, I think there's a lot you can do with that. Um, you know, you if you look at total numbers from outside. You know, I, I think that number could could be minimized a lot just based on how often Georgia is just absolutely beating the crap out of their opponent. Uh, you know, they don't necessarily have to have him in every play. I think and the, the NFL, talent on that defensive line too, and, and the talent as well. Yeah, so I, there are some factors there. Uh, I think, but yes, there's no doubt he would have to get to the NFL, probably lose a little, little bit of weight and get in a little bit better shape. Um, but I mean, just the, the raw, the raw talent is there, man. I mean, just looking at him, looking at him line up against some of the other defensive line, like you mentioned, you know, six two, six three, other defensive line. I mean, he makes them look like running backs. It's it's insane. Yeah, it really is. I, I do love him. I'm not trying to say I wouldn't want to see him in Jacksonville, but my question is, you got to be able to play more snaps and. 
you know, maybe that's something you can figure out throughout the draft process. Uh, and if he can, yeah, he's going to be an absolute monster for some team. So this is tough for me. Uh, I've been doing a lot of draft work. I'm going to continue to do a lot of draft work. Uh, probably uh, I'll end up getting a top 150 big board out before the draft. Um, I have watched all the top prospects, you know, according to consensus, and I've come up with my own, you know, smaller big board here as we're starting to work through some of these guys. I've watched Kayvon Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchinson, Kyle Hamilton, Derek Stingley, Evan Neal, all the top receivers. I only think that there's three legitimate blue chip players in this class. And Derek Stingley would top my board if he didn't have the the injury red flags. He's missed a lot of time the last two years. You got to figure out, is this going to be a consistent problem for Derek Stingley throughout his career? Or is it just a couple of bad luck situations? Um, he is an amazing cornerback prospect. I mean, what he did as a freshman and what he has done when on the field over the last couple of years, he earned that number seven for the LSU Tigers this year, um, you know, which all their great leaders have worn. Stingley, he's unbelievable from a traits perspective, from an instinct perspective. His technique has gotten even better. That's a guy that if he's healthy and you don't have a question about his uh, injury future, I think he's the best player in college football, bar none, uh, best prospect in college football. But then you've got Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson. I think they're both 3-4 edge defenders, which that's what you want in Jacksonville with Joe Cullen, obviously. I think Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be limited to the 3-4, whereas Aiden Hutchinson probably has the strength to hold up as a 4-3 end, but he has been rushing uh, from a two-point stance instead of a three-point stance, so you just haven't really seen Aiden Hutchinson as a 4-3 edge rusher. Again, for Jacksonville, doesn't matter. You run a 3-4. Both of these guys are perfect for your scheme. I think Thibodeau has a higher ceiling, whereas Aiden Hutchinson, who does have an extremely high ceiling himself, is a better football player than Kayvon Thibodeau right now, a more complete football player than Kayvon Thibodeau right now from a pass rush perspective and from a run defense perspective. Thibodeau, I think his ceiling is the best edge rusher in football uh, or one of them. Uh, but right now there's some inconsistencies in, in, uh, in his game in terms of just playing himself out of plays, being overly aggressive in certain situations and playing himself out of the play. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, this is a 6'4", 220-pound safety who is probably going to run 4'4", or maybe even less. His, his range is unbelievable. He's super smart, very good hands. I just think that's another blue-chip guy. So those are my blue-chip guys. Jaguars are currently selecting at number three based on the current um, – current draft rankings after the Texans took down the Titans hilariously enough. Um, so one of those four guys I just mentioned is going to be there when the Jaguars pick, if they remain at number three, I think you would have to take one of those four guys. And it's interesting. I haven't mentioned Evan Neal. I don't think he's a blue chip prospect. I love Evan Neal. 
he is my next ranked prospect, but this is a guy that plays over his toes a lot. I think his balance is lacking. He absolutely is a mountain, just like Jordan Davis, uh, and he's very athletic. But his balance is a bit of a concern for me. When he's working to the second level, he kind of uh, misses quite a bit. When he gets hands on you, he's unbelievable. But I just don't know that he's going to be perfect against speed rushers, and I don't know that he's always going to be able to get contact uh, and and remain balanced moving uh, moving to the second level of the defense. And my whole point in this, I know I've been talking a long time, I don't think that the wide receivers are that far behind those guys. I absolutely would take Thibodeau, Hutchinson, Hamilton, and Stingley above any of the wide receivers. But when you're talking about after that, and I know the if you look online, the rankings aren't reflecting this right now, but I really believe Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, I think all three of those guys are, or all four of those guys are really going to rise throughout the process because they are so, so good. Garrett Wilson, six foot, 190. He's such a freak when it comes to his um, speed, change of direction, and his, uh, his body control in the air and his ability to make contested catches. Traylon Burks is 6'3", 220, and I think he's going to run a sub 4'4". Did you see him run past the entire Alabama defense last week? I did I did not catch that one, no. Oh no, I did goodness. not. He, I think he's going to be an absolute stud. 6'3", 220. I think he's going to run sub 4'4". Um, catches everything. For the Arkansas Razorbacks, that's a guy that uh, – he might be wide receiver one by the time it's all said and done. Chris Olave, everybody knows this guy. He's got sweet feet. Can't cover him. Uh, not the biggest guy, but he is 6'1", 185. So it's not like he's tiny. Uh, he has had a, him and Garrett Wilson both get a lot of free releases playing in the Big Ten. But uh, those three guys, awesome. And Jamison Williams, he came over from Ohio State to Alabama. He's 6'2", 190. He's got fantastic length, catch radius, speed. Uh, his hands are very strong. I think all four of those guys will have a chance to go close to the top 10. And for me, they might end up being top 10 prospects. Uh, Drake London would be in that same category. He's 6'5", 210 pounds. He did have an ankle fracture to end his season, unfortunately. So that's going to mar his um his potential to rise in my opinion, but I love those wide receivers. And my point is if the Jaguars win a couple more games and they're sitting around five, six, uh, come draft day, I absolutely would not have a problem with them taking one of those receivers. Yeah, I would. And, and the only reason why is just because I think the raw receiver class is, is pretty deep this year. Now I'm not discrediting anything those receivers do, by any means. I think you, you you were on point with everything that you said about every single one of them. And I think they're all fantastic football players and would love to have them in Jacksonville. Don't misunderstand what I was saying. But, you know, I, th- I think it's tougher when you compare the need to value uh, and skill. Um, and you see those top heavy guys, you know, Hutchison, Thibodeau, obviously not going to have a chance probably. Um, obviously at both of them, you, you'd be lucky if you've got a chance at one of them, to be honest, at this point. But also, you know, where does the wide receiver position rank uh, in regards to the building blocks of an organization? Now, I, I do think it's it's 
obviously very important to have elite wide receivers, but at the same time, if you have the right pieces around you in other locations, I think the receiver kind of gets knocked down a little bit on the list of where do you start building a franchise? Obviously you got quarterback, you've got left tackle, you've got edge. Um, I think in some instances really corner, uh, you know, might be above receiver as well. Um, but you know, it's just, you gotta, you gotta really be careful when you're balancing the need versus the talent in front of you. Cause obviously we're all going to say that wide receiver is the biggest need on this team, but depending on where we draft, I don't think you can draft that wide receiver with your first pick. But not to discredit anything said about you. those guys. They're all fantastic football players. I hear you. And if they're top four, I am not pounding the table for a receiver. But once you get past that top four, if Stingley, Hamilton, Hutchinson, and Thibodeau are gone, I am not seeing a gap between Evan, Neal, and those receivers. And I know a lot of people will think I'm crazy for saying that. But when I look at Evan, Neal... I see a guy who I do have questions about because I don't know that he's going to play balanced. He's going to be a starting offensive tackle for a long time. And he has the potential to be a pro bowler year in and year out. But I don't know that he's going to play with that balance. I don't know that he's going to be able to handle speed off the edge on the left side against some of the best edge rushers in football. I feel insanely confident and Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks, Chris Olave, and Jamison Williams. Uh, and even Drake London, assuming he's able to make a full recovery. So when you're just talking about talent, I, I don't think there's a huge gap. I really don't. Um, Evan Neal, when you look at his size and athleticism, it is really unbelievable. He's awesome. But those four, those four receivers I mentioned, I think they're awesome as well. And you did mention there's going to be depth in this draft. Absolutely. There's going to be depth from now until the end of time at wide receiver because it's a passing game now. That's just going to be the way it is. Um, So you're right. It might not just be like you need to get a receiver in the first round because you're not going to get one in the second round. That's not the case. That's not going to be the case ever anymore. You're going to be able to get receivers throughout the draft. But I'm just talking about helping Trevor Lawrence out, getting the best possible talent you know is going to pan out. I think those receivers have a really good shot to just be unbelievable pros. Yeah, and, and I won't go long-winded here because I know you probably want to move on. But you know, some of the things you said about Evan York, some of the things we heard about Tristan Wirfs coming out of Iowa, and, and look at him now, and just the way that he's anchored um, that offensive line for Tampa Bay. Um, and then you know, if if you think receiver is your best, you know, Wirfs is a better athlete, but he's not as big. Fair enough. Fair enough. There's <laughs> comparisons there, but a lot, of, a lot of the same things. I mean, we've seen him play extremely well. Um, yeah. But you know, I, I think what it'll come down to it also is, is looking at what do you do with the tackle position before you get to the draft. That's obviously going to play a lot into it. You know, obviously. With that being said, but at that point, this is where the you know trade back talks start coming into play. If if Hutchinson and Thibodeau are gone and Stingley are gone and all those blue chip guys, let's say they view it the same way we do. And then you're happy with your, you know, offensive line and where you're at right there. Although I don't think you should be, um, but you're happy with that. At that point, when the gap between what you need and what you want is big enough with the talent that's in front of you. And by no means, do I think the Jaguars are in the position to say that or do that yet because they're not that team at that point though, maybe you could move back get better value for your pick and recoup either uh, some draft compensation in the process, either for now or for the future, maybe snag a guy off another team that opens you to that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. And I don't want anyone to think I'm not a huge fan of Evan Neal. I wrote about him uh, two weeks ago. He's a great prospect. 
I just don't think that the gap is huge. And like you said, you know, maybe the trade down could make sense depending on where they are, um, depending on who's available. But if you're in the top four, I think you got to sit there and just take the best player available, which probably will not be a wide receiver. Um, but you're right. We do need to move on. But I just really kind of wanted to dive in and give some people different thoughts about the potential of those those uh, prospects. Jaguars-Falcons is this weekend. I forgot we still needed to talk about that. You know, the Jaguars have a game coming up. Um, the Falcons are one-point favorites right now. They've lost two straight in pretty embarrassing fashion. Uh, they're not playing great football. They've got some injuries they're dealing with. Calvin Ridley has been out due to um, – you know, some mental health reasons. It doesn't seem like he's going to be back. Hayden Hurst, their backup tight end, who is a big part of their offense. He's on IR. That's been limiting their offensive production as well. Not having him in Ridley has been pretty bad. But one guy they do have, one of my five favorite players to watch in the NFL that is not a Jaguar, Kyle Pitts. Talk to me about Kyle Pitts. I mean, he's just a freak athlete. Yeah, I mean, I would have loved to have had him here. Uh, I think anybody would probably say that. Uh, you know, obviously he's not having necessarily that just OMG jaw dropping year this year that some people may have expected. But I mean, the the Falcons are terrible. They're almost, if not just as bad as the Jaguars are on offense. I think both teams have accumulated forty three total points um, from offensive scoring in the past four weeks of the NFL season. So they're pretty much on par with each other. But I mean, what can you say about a guy who has the athleticism and, and the skill set of, you know, a, a, a above average, I wouldn't say top tier wide receiver, but pretty darn close up there. You haven't really seen a tight end it might like get that. There. It might. Hell yeah, it might. I mean, this is only year one, so that's not to say that he can't approve. Um, but when's the last time we've seen a tight end with that kind of skill set? I mean, obviously you see guys like Travis Kelsey, um, but to be honest with you, I, I think – Pitts kind of resembles more of a Tony Gonzalez type. I mean, just his catch radius, his ability to really go get the ball anywhere on the field. You can line him up anywhere on the field, and you can do that with Travis Kelsey too. Don't get me wrong, but Pitts just seems to have something a little bit more, a little bit bigger, a little bit longer, more athletic. Yeah, he just he looks a little bit better doing it. He just looks like a pure athlete. Antonio Gates, Tony Gonzalez, those type of guys. Obviously, the game has changed a little bit. Um, Gates was a, was a, a very large man. Could you imagine if he came in the NFL and played a little bit smaller, a little bit slimmer, uh, you know, the kind of athlete that he would have been? Um, but, I mean, Pitts is, is masterful to watch. He's exciting to watch. Um, you know, it's going to be exciting to watch him down here in Jacksonville. I hope he doesn't, you know, do us dirty or anything like that. But you know, having a player like that come through, I mean, he he could be a generational talent for this Falcons offense. Now, you've got to get him the ball and you've got to figure things out because I think he is that kind of guy. He's the kind of guy you got to scheme around, and they haven't been doing that lately. The, the whole offense, as I mentioned, as a whole, has not been doing much lately anyway. So maybe this is a get right game for the Jaguars. Yeah, I'm sure Falcons fans are thinking the same exact thing. The Falcons offense, part of the reason Matt Ryan's struggling so much like outside of Calvin Ridley and Hayden Hurst not being there, they're struggling in pass pro. Um, outside of Jake Matthews, their left tackle, and Chris Lindstrom, their right guard, the other three offensive linemen, they're getting beat like a drum on a lot of plays in pass pro, and it's making it really difficult for Matt Ryan to get the job done. Um, the running game has been struggling a little bit. Uh, um, why am I drawing a blank on on his name? Mike Davis. Back. Not Mike Davis. Um, Cordero. 
Cordero Patterson didn't play last week, and he's probably their most effective running back. But we'll see how he's doing this week. Um, Questionable had, as of right now. Yeah, had an ankle injury, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was ankle or knee. Yeah, Something so they've they've got the injury bug themselves, but their pass pro regardless of the injuries has been a real nightmare for Matt Ryan and he's turning the ball over at a high clip, throwing a lot of interceptions, uh, getting hit quite a lot. So when you look at that, you look at, you know, our Josh Allen and Dewan Smoot and Ro- Robertson Harris and those guys, they've got an opportunity here to really get after Matt Ryan. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. And that's exactly what they need to do. They need to attack this offensive line up front between Jake Matthews and Mitch McGarry. I mean, I think they have two of the worst starting offensive tackles in the NFL right now. Hey, I like Jake Matthews. I watched them, I believe, last week against the Cowboys. They played the Patriots last then week. Cowboys two weeks week ago. Before. Patriots, too. Then I, I, I haven't watched much of the Falcons this year. Um, but the little bit that I did watch, it seemed like their offensive line was just getting absolutely pounded. I remember some of the, the Cowboys game. I know I definitely watched the Patriots game. Um, so it could have been from either of them. But I, I did not see anything um, on the offensive line that really impressed me or, or gave me any reason to believe the Jaguars cannot get pressure on Matt Ryan this week. And he's not the same quarterback he used to be. Um, and now he was never a mover. Don't get me wrong. But even now in his old age, I mean, he's more of a statue back there than not. And he's got a quick trigger. He likes to throw the ball uh, and get it out of his hands. And, and sometimes it, it's bad decisions. He's making bad decisions. He's got quick feet and a happy trigger back there because he's got nobody around him and, and the pressure is really collapsing. And I think he's obviously at the tail end of his career um, starting to turn the page a little bit. Uh, I, I think you can force him into some errors this week. You've got to get pressure on him. I think with that lackluster offensive line, you've got a really good chance to do so. If they are missing Cordero or Patterson, well, that obviously gives you a much better matchup too. Not having Kelvin Ridley is going to hurt. Um, so really what it boils down to is can you stop Kyle Pitts? Can you take away the one guy that that Matt Ryan can probably exploit you defensively? Um, that That's going to be the key this week, getting pressure and shutting down Kyle Pitts if Cordero or Patterson doesn't play. Yeah, I agree with you, and that's – can they do it? Who knows? I mean, this could be Kyle Pitts' biggest breakout game. Oof. It really could. Um, we'll see if that comes to fruition. I think the lack of pass protection is going to make it hard for that to happen, but I wouldn't put it past the Jaguars uh, for allowing that to happen, certainly. Uh, defensively, the Falcons don't have much of a pass rush outside of Grady Jarrett. Uh, their second-best pass rusher, their best edge rusher is Dante Fowler. And I think he has 15 total pressures this year. So they're not doing a heck of a lot in the pass rush department. No, I I would say that they're probably worse than the Jaguars on defense. Um, Oh, I think easily. They're comparable in in some ways. I think the Jaguars pass rush front seven much better. Um, But the Falcons have, you know, some great players. Um, You know, Deion Jones, AJ Terrell has been playing really well as well. They've got some got Grady Jarrett. I mean, they've got. I got to stop you there. Well, you don't think so? No, I completely agree with you. Oh, 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 oh. you said you got AJ stop. Terrell. Oh, okay. You want to get that comparison in? <laughs> Just gotta say it. No, I know. Jaguars could have drafted him at nine. Um, I know that the pundits didn't really have him on the same level as CJ Henderson, but CJ Henderson. It's not like there wasn't talk about kind of his demeanor and his mindset prior to the draft. It existed. This was another Jaguars draft pick where they failed to account for a potential red flag. And they got bit by it. And the Falcons, who wanted C.J. Henderson, settled for A.J. Terrell. 
and he has turned into a fantastic starting outside cornerback. He's allowing, I believe, 52% completions in primary coverage, uh, got his first interception of the year last week, which was a big one for them, even though it didn't really help him um, in the, on the scoreboard. But he's playing fantastic football, and he's a guy that the Jaguars could have had in 2020, just one year ago. Yeah. I mean, he's not an A-plus corner by any means yet, but he's playing some good football at times and definitely playing I mean, better. For a second-year guy. Yeah. Uh, he's definitely playing, playing better than the, than the guy that we're comparing him to. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that makes it easy enough for you. I mean, the, the Jaguars are so inept that – they stopped another team from making a mistake and made that mistake for them. That's how bad it was. I mean, the Jaguars could have, the Falcons could have, could have made a deal and moved up and, and they could have gotten CJ Henderson. And then who knows, maybe the Jaguars could have fell into AJ Terrell and things would be different, but that's not how it goes down here. I mean, you're so bad that, that you say, no, we'll make that mistake for you. And then you make it. But Fact of the matter is, I mean, the Falcons just aren't great defensively. Neither the Jaguars, but when you look at the personnel, the Jaguars have, a, or uh, the Falcons have a couple guys here and there that can make some plays. I think the Jaguars just have a few more. Um, you know, same kind of level. I mean, I don't think that again anything special, but I think Miles Jack uh, is a comparable linebacker to Deion Jones. Um, Deion Jones is very good, a little bit faster, um, but Miles Jack is is very good as well. And the way that Josh Allen is playing right now, I mean, he should absolutely eat up the Falcons offensive line and the way Dewan Smoot is playing the way this defensive line has kind of resurged over the past few weeks. I expect them to make an impact this Sunday. Yeah, I do too. And um, I think both, both defenses have an advantage over the offenses they'll be facing. So I would guess this is going to be a low scoring contest. Uh, it's time to get into predictions here. Um, I think we're both sitting at six and four now. We both had the 49ers beating the Jaguars. Yep. What do we got, Jeremy? I've gone back and forth uh, on this. Um, I, I think it's going to go one of two ways. Uh, I think it's going to be an ugly, um, you know, 10 to six, 13 to six, 13 to nine type ball game. Um, or on the flip side, uh, both of these defense or offenses are going to have field days on these terrible defenses. But the more I think about it, I just, I look at how just, terrible the Jaguars offense has been uh, over the past few weeks um, you know and really due to nobody else is but their own accord um, you know it's not like defense are just shutting them down they're just not doing anything to beat the defense either um, so that that's been kind of frustrating to watch and, and what really makes me think it can get any better against the Falcons now in turn uh, I think the Falcons offense is also very bad um, I think their defense um, is kind of the same so you know, I, I think it's going to be a, a slow, muddy, ugly, just not a, a very um, pretty football game. Um, but I do think the Falcons are going to pull it out because of Kyle Pitts. Um, if Cordero Patterson plays, he's definitely a matchup. And they just have more on their offense than we do. As bad as they both are, when it really boils down to it, they just have a little bit more. So I'm looking at a Falcons win this weekend, unfortunately. Now, do I think the Jaguars can win this game? Absolutely. I think this is... Um, a matchup you look at and you say the Jaguars um, should absolutely have a chance to win this game. There shouldn't be you know, any doubt about it. I don't think it's one you look at and you just chalk up as a, as a loss immediately. Um, so that leads me to have a little bit of hope, but uh, I've had my hope the last couple of weeks and, and they just keep shooting me in the back. So I think it's, it's going to be um, you know, a real close one, an ugly one. I think the Falcons are going to win. I mean, we can guess the score if we want, 13-6, 13-3. I mean, really, can the Jaguars Ooh. score points? We haven't seen it, so... It's not going to be pretty. I'm going to be down there for that one. So hopefully it, it'll I love change. It. I love it. Yeah, I'm going to go to the game too. Um, I encourage everyone to go to the game. 
It was an ugly scene last week with all the 49ers fans. And Atlanta's a hell of a lot closer. It's not going to get much better. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the Jaguars, they ran into a buzzsaw last week. The same buzzsaw that the Los Angeles Rams ran into the week before. Outside of that, the Jags have played pretty good football over the last month or so. The Falcons, I don't trust their defense, and I do not trust their offensive line. Uh, It'd be different if you had a Calvin Ridley and a Hayden Hurst on this offense, but you don't. I'm taking the Jags, 17-13, another, you know, like you said, an, an ugly contest, but I think the Jags are able to pull it out. I think Trevor Lawrence gets some things done late in the game in a game that's finally close throughout the game. I don't think the Jaguars have the back-breaking turnover uh, to start this game that they've had the last few weeks. I just think regression is bound to happen in terms of not having these crazy turnovers that set the opposing teams up with either a free touchdown or a touchdown uh, or, or a drive where they're extremely close to the end zone to start the drive. So, yeah, I'm going to take the Jaguars 17-13. Uh, I think Trevor is going to continue to play well. I think it's going to be hard around him for him, uh, but they're going to get Visca the ball. I think Marvin Jones can play better than he has the last few weeks. I think you'll see that, and I think the Jaguars get the win. So you're going regression by progression. (laughs) The Jaguars have been so bad at some point they're going to have to not be bad. No, regression is just like regression to the mean, whether that's good or bad. Right. Just regression to the middle. Um it's very unlikely for a football team to have three back-breaking um, turnovers that you know put your. It's very unlikely that the Jaguars are down seventeen zero three weeks in a row yeah. uh, with on the third offensive possession. Yeah, we are the Jaguars. I mean, no, I agree with you. I know what you're saying. I, like you know, with with the with the you know specific term and, and the definition, I just like that you know we're at the point where you're so low. Yeah, I mean, if this isn't rock bottom, where is it? And then you can only go up from there. So I mean, I get what yeah. you're saying. So it's it's regression by progression. At some point, it's yeah. going to get so bad where it can only get better, and then it'll improve. <laughs> yeah, it's just unlikely, right? Yeah, you, you would hope so. Again. You would hope so. But then we are the Jaguars, and the Jaguars have unfortunately been subject to a lot of the unlikely things uh, that happened in the NFL and the storyline. I mean, you're right. Like, who would have thought that Trevor would have been down for a second week in a row, his third drive? down 17 to zero that part in the first quarter first quarter it's it's unbelievable yeah no it is i mean it doesn't i mean it doesn't necessarily surprise me per se um but yeah no and that's kind of you can't put yourself in that position um i like this is another tie break week for us though now that i know that's six exciting and four yes we, we split there and and we'll see who takes the lead going into the end of the season you know at least whoever gets this one we will still both be above 500 this, at least one more week. This is fair. This is fair. Now, I don't like the bad guy because I didn't pick the Jaguars, but no, no, it's all good. We haven't picked them all year. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the show. Shout out to Bold City Brewery once again, the one and only sponsor of the Gin Jag podcast. Enjoy your Thanksgiving weekend, Duval, and please show up for the Jags game. And if you <laughs> see us, say something. Yeah. We'll be down there. Say hello. Say yeah, what's we'll up. be out Let there tailgating a little bit, I think. And, yeah. um, And yeah, say hello if you see us. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone, and go Jags. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. 
Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.